Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. My name is Michael, and I am a chaser. And today, I am a, a cabin fever sp- spring break boy. I am. It's sunny and bright out, and I am stuck inside. I feel like I have been sitting in this desk chair for a thousand years. <laughs> I just want to go out and play. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hi, my name is Don Marshall. I'm a big chubby guy living here in Hollywood, and today I am a vaccination brewing facility. I have been given the shot, (laughs) and my body is making more of it inside of me, and it's amazing. That's that's the gurgling I hear. Yes. (laughs) My name is Dan Oliverio. I'm an author, public speaker, and chubby chaser, and um, yes, I... I am pining, pining for the eligibility to get the vaccine. I'm so far away. Yes. I like. um, Trevor already has his first shot, but I uh, maybe far mm. away or maybe <laughs> real. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Tiny unvaccinated mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get vaccinated and go out and play with the rest of the I people who are vaccinated. I just want to see my friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I am Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub and I am a, uh, a partially vaccinated boy who... Uh, is halfway to spring break. Um, <laughs> spring break for me starts like, I don't know what, how, how long after your second shot is it like two weeks. I think like it's two mid- weeks. Mid April. Uh, wow. Boy. Yep. I'm already making plans to drive up North through California, up to Oregon, visit some family hmm. oh, nice. and stop off in San Francisco, visit some friends. Oh, lovely. Get a Frisco yeah. melt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, that's enough COVID talk for yeah. today. <laughs> Screw that. We're gonna we're gonna start off with its uh, the mailbag. Nice little mail. Cue that beautiful mailbag well, music footage. The fr- <laughs> so some nice person wrote to us and said, "Hey guys." I just wanted to thank you again for such an awesome podcast. It has been my little shining beacon of light and fun in this whole quarantine world we're living in. You guys make me smile and you make me laugh and you've helped me understand myself a little bit better. Acceptance through community rather than being stigmatized for my size. Keep up this awesome podcast. You don't know how much it means to a bunch of people like me. Just finished your latest episode and again, laughing, smiling, and being very grateful that there are other people in the world who think the way I think. It feels nice not to be marginalized within the gay community. Thank you for making your listeners feel included. You guys have a great manner. You're uh, lots of fun, and I can't wait for the next podcast. Well, I say thank you, listener, yes. um, because it definitely... I, I it helps me sort of stay focused on why I like to do the podcast in the first place, and it's very gratifying to know that, like, I don't know, it people has listen. An I think we, <laughs> yeah, like we sort of send it out into the world and then kind of hope that it it gets to the people that want it. Um, so it's always nice to hear back. So thank I you. mean, I'm just here for the paycheck. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. And Don, we've Dom. doubled your salary. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Twice nothing is I still can nothing. I afford a gumdrop. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's just nice. It's just nice to, I guess, have that that kind of positive reinforcement before we take you into. <laughs> the worst possible thing you'll hear all week. <laughs> I just like the, I like that we're continuing our the British beatdown on fat people because uh, that's what we got next. So wipe that it's, smile off your face. Hey, yeah. all right, moving into pop culture. Here we go. <laughs> so okay, so buckle for, up, I, motherfuckers. I, I will. I have to start with saying, like, I know the Daily Mail is a tabloid. I this story was elsewhere, but my aggregator gave me Daily Mail first, and I love the paragraph long <laughs> article title. Which I will let Dan read in his British voice. <laughs> oh, yes. So I swear it says exactly this. Is Prue Lath, of all people, right to demand a school ban on sugary snacks? Great British Bake Off judge reveals a cake ban would be just the start and that packed lunches should be outlawed too. So wait, so you can't have food you can't serve the food in the schools, but you also can't pack the food from home. No, you, you can. Ha- so what are you supposed to You're do? only supposed to have sanctioned non-cake food in the cafeteria. Oh. And no one may bring in contraband food that has not been approved by the state. Is she about to come out with a product line that would support exactly this niche that she's creating? Well, and the reason they say of all people is, uh, number one, she's always talking about 
when she talks about cake, her her judgment of cake is: is it worth the calories? Is it really worth those mm-hmm. calories you're taking in? And she's and she's not exactly a thin woman herself. And number two, of all people to come out against cake is a British Bake Off judge. That's that's uh, <laughs> that's the other sort of irony. I'm curious about the original context. You know, if she's talking about like school lunches. She is. I, I, I know enough about kids where I know if you stuff some sugar in them, they go freaking crazy for a little while. So maybe in schools, I can understand a sugar thing. But well, no. But again, it's the idea well, that the, the schools may not serve certain foods. And she says what's next is we can't let parents uh, select, child, uh, select school lunches for their children because, after all, uh, as we reported last week, the British have been taking away obese children from their parents. Oh dear! Right, That's true. Yeah, it just it feels very much in line with that. It's we're it's a theme, guys. We have a, we theme, have a theme part of our the show British, now. The British we should call this its own segment. <laughs> yeah, the British beatdown. We'll get some music for it. <laughs> You're going to enjoy this quite a lot. I think that it's mostly just disappointing because I. Granted, I have not experienced it myself, but everyone talks about how much of a an uplifting experience it is to watch the Great British Bake Off, and it, it is this it's, sucks. Uh, it's being hugged by a TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. well, I think the, what it's so different about it is that it's the only competitive show where the contestants actively help each other. I like Prue. I, it took me a while to warm up to her. I. Yeah. Dan will it's tell like, you, you are not Mary Berry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in the article, she said the, the article, which is referencing an interview she did uh, on the podcast. Um, Treats are no longer seen as a treat. They're an essential. She says children get snacks all morning long and then they don't want their lunch, which I mean, I don't think that's really true, but I think, I don't is know, that, yeah. a, a whatever the treat is, if it is a, a cupcake, a uh, little, package of scooby-doo gummies where there's that that white one that you don't really know what flavor it is mm. what flavor was that <laughs> i think was the pineapple like a mystery fake pineapple oh, it's probably pina colada or something like that well Look. apropos of your comment about you know the kids getting snacks all day long i do remember having a, a saudi student and we were talking about uh, growing up in childhood and he talked about how uh his mother would always put uh, sugar or honey in the kid's milk. And I said, well, why in the world would she do that? And he said, yeah. he looked at me absolutely astonished. He said, well, why else would they drink it? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Fair I enough. Guess. Fair enough. Um, because, and number one, that the mother felt it was very important that the children drink milk, which is sort of, I don't know, a bit odd. And two, that we, we need to go to so far as to, as to sweeten the milk because Otherwise, why would we? I've heard the same thing said about like, we only buy our kids chocolate milk because otherwise they won't drink it. Right. Well, they won't drink the regular milk because you have chocolate milk. Right yeah. Next to it. <laughs> <laughs> like, bit of a chicken and the egg situation. Here. <laughs> well, and apparently not drinking milk is not an option because I don't know. The dairy industry conquered, I, conquered world nutrition in 1940 and hasn't given it back yet. Oh, well, uh, I think, I don't know. We'll, we'll wrap this up with like Britain. There you go. <laughs> well, toot, on the toot, plus fart. side, we have a new show with a large protagonist coming. Yes, which is, it looks so delightful. Uh, Rutherford Falls, which maybe we'll splice in a little, a little audio here for the listener. This town has forgotten how to honor their ancestors. Can we focus on the problems that are actually important? Big Larry's important. More important than the opioid crisis. Apples and oranges, Carla. There's something happening in that town. This is a story about stories. Damn, the podcasting voice is very manipulative. <laughs> so much drama. But let's uh, leave them okay, more. Okay, no, but I'm not done telling these people why they're wrong and stupid. <laughs> this is why it's not worth being friends with white people. No. So this is a, a new comedy coming out on Peacock, which instantly makes me go, all right, hold on a second. Because NBC, like, they have just been one series of swings and misses after the other. Um, and I feel like they really haven't had anything I was particularly interested in since, what was it? It was Parks and Rec, uh, 30 Rock, and The Office were on all basically at the same and, time. And Community. Hmm. And Community. Wow. And oh, then one by days. one, those all went to the wayside. Now I watch them on I watch them on streaming, but 
This has promise. This has a lot of promise. It's from uh, some of the creators of, uh, let's see, it was Office and Parks another and show. Um, and it's got Ed Helms and the the lead of the show is a character that I think we are all interested in. Uh, Regan Wells, played by uh, Jaina, uh, hopefully I'm getting this right, Schmiding. Yeah, yeah, that's on. Yeah, uh, now that I, I'm confident yeah. in that pronunciation, now that I've actually well, said and it, it. it's just really great to see a fat female protagonist in a weekly sitcom. That's just yeah, that's really great. Like yeah. clearly, there's focus on her from the trailer. And isn't the mm-hmm. character Native American? Native American, yes. Yeah. yeah, there is. I'm seeing more shows with Native American content lately, and I'm mm-hmm. loving it. Like I'm mm-hmm. watching Resident Alien, which takes mm-hmm. place in a, a heavily Native town. Um, <clears throat> and it's so refreshing. I haven't seen much Native American content since like Northern Exposure. It's been right. a long time. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. We got Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Hey. I hey. continually block that out of my memory. <laughs> I, yeah. You're going to have to anyway. put an explainer or something. I liked that show, but they had some weird race stuff going on in yeah. there. Well, uh, they had some very weird And I think that was the show. point. It was it was to, yeah. to stretch and to poke and to things like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so this looks to be really, really fun and delightful. It's coming out on Peacock, um, a streaming service that I'm sure none of us has yet. So consider uh, on April 22nd. Yes. Yeah. And I will um, happily watch it watch. when it comes out on a streaming service that won't make me watch it with commercials. <laughs> uh, what else do we have on Fat Watch? Well, well, it's not what else. It we, is we, we, we have to set up Fat Watch. We have to start oh, Fat Watch. <laughs> never mind. You're right. It's Fat Watch 2021. Okay, I like um, Michael's Muzak version. I really do. <laughs> I just want to put him in a cage in an elevator so we can all listen to him as we go up and down. Don't we all? <laughs> Michael Cage in an elevator. Yes. Uh, so this is from Forbes, which I don't know. I like sharing um, this type of material from like, I don't, like I had the uh, the Vogue business uh, piece. I think it was last week. And I just mm-hmm. love, I don't know. I like seeing this come up in conversations where it's like, hey, there might be some money here <laughs> because it's like, I, I don't like the commercialization of it, but I like that it's like people being like, oh, people actually care about this. Right. Um, it can it can be part of a conversation where there's entire businesses built around talking about these things. Yeah. Yes. Um, but so it's uh, Forbes, three body confidence crusaders on finding self-acceptance in fitness, fashion, and everyday life. Um, and they interviewed three women, um, Chelsea mm-hmm. Hill, uh, Chrissy King, Hunter, Hunter McGrady. And kind of uh, women kind of covering different aspects of body confidence from the, you know, fat acceptance to people living with disabilities to people of color. Yeah. I, and I like that the articles included or sorry, the pictures included in the article are, you know, I feel like a lot, a lot of times when articles like this go mainstream, they have like those perfectly lit, like, mm. you know, uh I guess curated for the mainstream type yeah. uh, imagery to in- yeah. to incorporate into the article. Yeah, they, everything tries and to be these, a cover photo. Yeah, yeah, and they don't want to shock the reader too much with the thing that the article is actually about. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't do that. There are a lot of really just sort of true to life um, photographs of all three of the women um, to go along with their their statements and the interview is sort of woven together from all three of their perspectives. And I think it's a it's a it it is i i felt handled very well given the fact that forbes is not this is not like forbes's mission to yeah. you know, to champion body positivity like they're they have many things going for them uh there there's a a quote from chrissy king that i like here that kind of is talking about okay so this brands are aware of this this uh, you know market and she says brands are becoming less fat phobic but i don't know if it's genuine diversity and inclusion are buzzwords and it can be performative the sizing is still not inclusive enough. Extra large or XXL is not inclusive at all. The bodies included are specific types of larger bodies like hourglass shaped that are still palatable to people. We have to keep digging into these narratives about what acceptable and fat bodies are supposed to look like. Here, here. Yeah. Um, they end on the question for each of them. What does radical self-acceptance mean to you? And Chrissy's answer was unapologetic love and respect for myself 
and appreciating the differences that make us all unique. My body is not what makes me who I am. It's what allows me to have this human experience. I have specific magic that I'm supposed to create in this world, and it doesn't have anything anything to do with what I look like. Mm. Hooray. Yeah. So now that we've, once again, brought you up to an emotional high, um, (laughs) allow us to sucker punch you in the face. Uh, Once Uh. again with... So I... (laughs) We found this article, Trevor found this article, but a listener Mm -hmm. also sent this in um, for us to, I guess, (laughs) try and make something out of. I'm just going to read the headline here and you guys can take it from there. In the Washington Post and other outlets, Olympics creative director quits after suggesting that plus size female comedian pose as Olympig. And he's talking about Naomi Watanabe, who is freaking fabulous. Mm-hmm. Even people in the United States may know her because she did uh, an episode of the Japanese uh, Queer, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, mm-hmm. where she is magnificent. I mean, she yeah. is amazing. Absolutely. Yes. I had to go look her up immediately after. Um, well, okay. And, so- and by the way, can I just clarify? He was being serious. Yes. Like- that wasn't a joke tweet that was then considered to be offensive. He, according to this report, he had proposed that she, that Naomi Watanabe, appear at the opening ceremony dressed as a pig, descending from the sky, wearing pink ears, posing as the the Olympic in quotes, like not a joke, serious. And then he, of course, retracted it and apologized and quit. And you know, the the question we have now come to is is that what we would consider to be progress the fact that he resigned if he, yeah yes if he if he lost his job if he had to quit his job you know we can imagine 10 20 plus years ago that he could have maybe gotten away with that and kept his kept his job and so is that progress and if so where do we fall in the spectrum of progress and how do you measure that does it matter um, is that good enough or should there be other well, aspects? Of, yeah, it should be said that um, so this is, you know, the the Olympics creative director, former actually, sorry, former Olympics creative director. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Hiroshi Sasaki, who has been in the news already because of just yeah. continually Not making first, sexist yeah. comments. Yeah. Um, but I think prior to this. People have been sort of rolling their eyes and going like, well, the guy's like 80. Uh, that's right. what I was going to say. It's like, you know, his retiring at 80 is not exactly striking a blow for freedom. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. and and I also wonder. But even then, he still had to make multiple whiffs before he finally got held accountable for what he said. Mm-hmm. And I th- and how much of it was, because we hear this a lot. Oh, you know, so-and-so is 80. Oh, they grew up in a different age. And... Anyway, I admit I think that way. Like, yeah, but you know what? Default, but there are plenty you know? of older people who change their minds. I, you know, <laughs> I, I've changed my mind not, myself. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But it's not something that eighty-year-olds are known for you know, changing their positions on things. <laughs> sure, but I think there's this there's this almost ageism that old people are incapable or not responsible for changing their minds, and I don't know why that's true. I think it's just I think it's it's. Is it out of respect that people, that old people don't have to change their minds about bigotry? You know, because we respect them so much that they're just the way they are. Well, for me, it's definitely an experiential thing. Like, I've had plenty of older people in my family and people beyond, and none of them have ever changed their mind on anything. (laughs) Ever. As a matter of fact, they get angry at you for suggesting that maybe they're incorrect on something. You know, hmm. well, I wonder how so, much of that is just a peer group thing where like all the other 80 year olds they know and all the 60 year olds they know and all the other 50 year olds they know hmm. all agree with them. Uh, it's probably yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, OK, so for hmm. me, I feel like you have to separate the whole like idea of cancel culture hmm. from what we're talking about. Cancel I, culture isn't a thing. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, being but, but held accountable for their actions. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But, but the the fact of it, the fact of the nature that it exists uh, doesn't matter for this conversation. Uh, what matters in this conversation for me is the fact that there is something where there is a backlash going on right now, whether it's too strong or too light, what, that doesn't matter, against people who are seen to be committing injustices of some sort. 
this is the first time I can remember where we are cohesively seeing people being canceled for anti-fat comments, right? Which I, means for the first time, we're actually being seen as one of the groups that is legitimately being uh, I, I th- put down. Sorry, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to, I want to say, I think it's important to uh, not say, I, I'm not trying, I'm trying to cancel, cancel, <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like it makes it less serious. And I think that's kind of intentional with all of this, like the rhetoric of yeah. the Dr. Seuss, Mr. Potato Head cancellation thing. And mm-hmm. it's trying to like, I think if we are going to, the, the, I think the whole cancel th- cancel thing, cancel culture, the language of it is a barrier right now that we're facing so many things that people aren't going to let penetrate because like, oh, it's just here we go again with cancel culture. I think that's a good point. Trevor. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with I, you. I, I totally agree. But as a shorthand for what this is, I I just think being of a, accountability. No. <laughs> well, like people yeah, are being held kinda, accountable for their words. Okay, now that we're in the time, the period where people are being held accountable for <laughs> misactions and missteps or intentional well, misactions. But but see, here's the thing. It's it, a bit more of a word of mouthful. But. As 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 the sort of senior statesman among the panel here, I I can remember in college. <laughs> Please share your wisdom. <laughs> I can, you know when when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Uh, I remember <laughs> I remember back in college when, you know, we wouldn't buy Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola had investment in South Africa. Mm, and yeah. our in our learning institution, uh, there were sit-ins in the administration because they had investment in South Africa and, and, and uh, South Africa was an apartheid state. And was that cancel culture? We didn't call it that. So if you're saying I'm not going to go to Chick-fil-A because they invest in anti-gay causes, you know, is Chick-fil-A canceled? I guess you can say that, but I but it runs the risk, I think, as Trevor points out, of it making it sort of like, oh, it's this thing that Gen Gen Z came up with. And it'll if we wait 10 minutes, it'll all wash away. In general, it's a weapon against liberals. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. Anything liberals think is bad is a victim of council culture. The comparison that I read was that it is. It sounds very similar to how the the term political correctness mm-hmm. uh, was weaponized yeah. uh, against people who wanted to remove um, racist uh, slurs from from our our vocabulary. Yeah. Um, like you like to and and it became a way to dismiss the serious of, seriousness of the issue by summing something up with this really contrite, concise sort of uh, soundbite-y phrase of politically correct or mm-hmm. PC yeah. culture or mm-hmm. cancel culture now. it's. I think it is, yeah, it is something you can say that people will recognize, but they will recognize it in the wrong way I think if you use those terms. I, I, I think that's true. And what I think might be different now is that in the olden days, you would have what we now call cancel culture against a corporation, uh, against a certain movement. But I think what's unique today is that because of social media, we can exert a a boycotting or an aversion to particular people in particular positions. And I think that's new, or at least it's it's in a, on a scale that has heretofore never been seen before because of social media. Sure, you could write to the president of Coca-Cola that he should fire his marketing executive, but that's not, or his investment counselor, but that's not quite the same mm-hmm. as putting that person's face on Facebook and making a campaign. Right, mm-hmm. yes. So all of this to say that Sasaki has, I guess, fallen to this accountability. He has had to resign. And the question that we had initially brought up, which I think is is a really tough one to face, is, is that progress? Or And if it is progress, where on the spectrum of progress does it fall? Like, and what does that mean for those of us who are, are fighting for fat liberation and equality um, in, in many different um, intersectionalities, not just the mm-hmm. world of fat? But like, what, is that, what does that mean when you see this ostensibly good thing happen? Um, and is it enough? It's, it's tough because, you know, the goal is not that every one of these awful people get fired. That's not the goal. The goal is that sure. this stuff doesn't even happen and it doesn't even occur to people. Mm-hmm. Right? 
it just it's mm-hmm. just not a it just doesn't occur because it's not a it's not a distinction anymore that body size ceases to be an interesting distinction among people i mean i right. think really I, I think the only reason you know the, the i think that this was a a blow a final blow was because he went after a major celebrity mm, true who's well liked yeah. yes like, who's well liked and as opposed mm-hmm. to like if there was you know a fat female intern in the room and he's like, oh, we should have her be an Olympic and every like, you know, ha 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 ha. And Chuckles then, all around. Like, nothing yeah. would happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Well, and, um, and on the other side of that, someone like Watanabe is so much more capable of defending herself yes. or of, yeah. of launching a counterattack should she so choose than the, the fat intern in the room who, you know, just has to smile and suffer. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, there's the, <laughs> There's I, so I'm I'm working on this um, this documentary for the Boston Gammons Chorus, and one of the interviews we did was with um, a South African black man who was sort of educating the chorus about apartheid before we went to the apartheid museum and in Johannesburg. And in this very long speech that he had, one of the things he said was uh, that he's like apart. You know, it's tech, like in law it is over, but there are still people who have that mentality. Um, but they're older mm. and he's like, it, you know, maybe in 20, 30 years it'll be gone um, because the kids coming up, they don't have that mentality anymore. And he said, I think by then the people who do, they'll be dead and it'll, you know, so we will get to that point, but it's going to take a long time um, because as Don has pointed out, I, whether or not if this is okay or acceptable, I don't think older people tend to change their minds. Um and it's probably just a process of continuing to be that wave of people who are continuing to champion the rights for the people that don't have them. Maybe, maybe. Um, the, the die-off argument is reasonable until you start to think about, well, all those old people are educating younger people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think, by the way, I think but my measure for success, I don't, I do not think it is possible for everyone to think the same thing. Right. It is not yes. possible. Nobody. And so the, what really matters is how is society run and how do you, how do you keep a society one that um, basically keeps human rights at the forefront of how it, co- you know, how you cooperate with each other. Um, and then within that, people can still think whatever they want and you're going to have assholes everywhere. Um, and then what we're coming to is where are we in this push? Like, are we halfway there? Are we a third the way there? What is there? What is the ultimate end point? And is there an end point? Because one of the other things that somebody in this doc said about gay rights, which I think is very applicable, is that you, it's not enough to fight the fight to get the rights. You have to fight the fight to keep the rights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like there, you, and there's always this like one step forward, two steps back like push and pull. So is this, is this enough of an indication or how do we keep going? Should we keep going? And how do you, how do you take a breath in all of this too? Cause it's exhausting. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for me, for me, this is definitely a sign of progress. I feel like this is a good thing um, because too often in the past, when somebody made some sort of ridiculous anti-fat comments and were called out for it by usually a fat person, <laughs> let's mm-hmm. be honest, the fat mm-hmm. person got attacked for it, right? So uh, almost exactly 10 years ago, Dan Savage uh, came out with a bunch of different, a couple different articles that were just, they were just vile towards fat oh, yeah. people. I love Dan Savage. I think he's great, but those articles got stuck in my nose. Um, and the woman who went on to eventually make uh, Shrill mm. was working for mm. him at that time and called him out on it wrote a couple articles and the backlash was against her, not him. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, I don't see that happening now. Like I could see conservatives going after her because, you know, she's fat and she's a woman and she should sit down and shut up. But, you know, for the rest of us, we would hear her now (laughs) uh, where I don't think we did 10 years ago. You know, Mm -hmm. the idea of fat acceptance back 10 years ago was heard very differently by the world. Well, you know, that's an interesting point you bring up, Don, because it makes me wonder, let's see what you think. Does that really just mean that all of a sudden racism and sizeism and healthism are are becoming concerns for liberals and 
they haven't and aren't for conservatives that this is basically it's it's almost as if you're you're bringing religion to the church choir uh, <laughs> and not to, and not to say that liberals have been blameless in this far from that but i just mean that or, or, or is it the case that well of course liberals by definition being open-minded because that's kind of how you define liberalism is hey maybe that is maybe that is a good idea let's try it uh, is it just that we're the vanguard of that change? And and I don't mean to hold us up as some sort of holier than thou thing. I just mean that if, if there are other places where this is an absolute non-starter. No, I would say that when you're talking politics, right? Conservatives live in the present and the past. Yeah. Where liberals live in the present and the future. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. What liberals are paying attention to is generally what mainstream people will be paying attention to five to 10 years after. Right. So like about 10 years ago, people like liberals started paying attention to trans issues, Mm -hmm. uh, which put them on the radar of conservatives, which went after them because change is bad. Um, And so now trans is like on the forefront of all discussions. Mm -hmm. Right. Because of the friction between those looking forward, trying to say like this these people are part of our world. We need to include them in our world for us to become a whole. And conservatives saying like, we've never needed to include everyone to be whole at all. Mm. You know, so why do we need to do that? Um, I feel like that also happened with environmental awareness. Because when I was a kid, yeah, nobody, like you heard, I don't know, maybe stories about the, the garbage barge floating around the ocean. But basically, it didn't seem like it was ever taken seriously. And now, like if you... If you don't recycle, <laughs> you could be shunned. You're, you're a monster. I don't know. I will. Um, I'll. I'll say to Michael's thing. I mean, and growing up watching Nickelodeon, I mean Captain Planet and Fern Gully, <laughs> like it was a call to action, but also like I don't know, it felt very doom. I guess it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be a warning, and now it's like, oh, now this is yeah. what the, exactly what they warned us about, <laughs> um, and. Like, I don't know, I cut up my little soda thing because <laughs> Captain Planet told me to. It's interesting that you should bring those up because what I was thinking is when I was a kid, it was uh, Woodsy the Owl, oh, yeah. Give a Hoot, Don't Pollute, mm-hmm. um, you know, Smokey Bear with the you know, anti-forest fire campaigns. All of this stuff was presented to kids as something that was like a kid's responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. The, adults didn't really think that much about it. I remember... Uh, I was off in a sailboat uh, with my dad in this like gorgeous little lake in upstate New York. And there are these tiny little like uh, little mini islands in the lake. So as you're going through, you, you know, you can go up to these little tiny places where it feels like no one else ever goes. Except when I was a kid, there was trash everywhere, just physical garbage everywhere around those places and by the sides of the roads where I grew up. And adults didn't think about that stuff. They just threw stuff out the windows. But the advocate, the advocate stuff to kids telling us it's your problem. We took that with us as we aged up. The generations ahead mm. of us didn't get that. They don't ha- they don't feel like it's their responsibility because no one ever sort of ingrained it in them. I, I think there's also something here I, I, that hasn't been said yet about the speed of change being so important. And the slower something changes the the less resistance overall i'm not saying that it's we get done with it but yes for example like smoking smoking you know going from smoking is the coolest thing ever to smoking is something that most adults no longer do in the united states that took decades and there wasn't a huge amount of opposition true when the non-smoking bans came in place there were people who thought it was the end of civilization i know but that didn't last long because it wasn't (laughs) but then i look at something else like gay marriage game the opinion of americans on gay marriage changed in a handful of years and we got a huge backlash Mm -hmm. from it Mm -hmm. and i think the change in posture about trans people changed even faster and I think we have major blowback because of that. And so there's, I, I think the resistance often comes in, in, in proportion to the speed of change. And yet we've been dealing with racism for hundreds of years. And I, I think it's legitimate to say there's been progress, but I, I guess here's the difference. Nobody is in favor, very few people, very few people are in favor of racism. However, what's changing now so fast and people are having a backlash towards is the definition of racism has actually changed. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fair. Because I understand, yeah. I, I know a lot of people a little bit older than me. I haven't had this issue. Uh, but like my parents' generation, they were told, for example, like you tell, you, uh, black was a bad word. You said African-American. Right. Mm-hmm. And then black was reclaimed and now it was okay to call black and African-American became passe. I remember my father saying the same thing about the the word negroid when he was oh. growing up was commonly used. Mongoloid Whoa. was commonly used. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. It's true. Well, he was born in the 1941. And it was considered correct because it was a scientific distinction. Yeah. It was a scientific term. Yeah. You know? uh, but, you know, that that's interesting because that's also the evolution of the term homosexual. Homosexual is scientifically accurate for whatever it describes. But we don't use it because it's so stigmatizing and medicalized. And now you see the same thing happening with the word obese. It's been a term of abuse based on medicalization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard of, I haven't thought of it in those terms, but that's really accurate. Um, well, that's, it's and, othering. It's, well, it's, it's a way to keep somebody at arm's length. And, well, and, and a way um, to justify it in like, well, God says, you know, science says, mm-hmm. uh, biology right. says, and it, no, it doesn't actually. In a lot of, um, I don't know, fat, circles and fat acceptance fat liberation um people will censor the word obese which there is a point where i was like should we do that on the podcast and i just figure it's easier just to kind of say it with inflection so you can you can feel our little air quotes in your your airpods (laughs) tickling your uh, (laughs) your air ears yeah yep (laughs) um one thing that is uh, been very interesting to see which i guess in a way given dan's point gives me a little bit of hope is that Having gone back and watched some old, like movies and sh- and I say old, I don't mean you know very like classic. I mean just you know nineties, early two thousands, um, <laughs> things that I had seen when I was a kid and then now as an adult went back and watched again after a long time. And there are a lot of I just very th- jokes and references and statements that are that would be considered highly unacceptable in today's culture. Um, about fat people, but about many different types of people. Um, anyone who wasn't a, a straight white dude got, you know, a lot of just a lot of stuff about them that is just not acceptable anymore. And I think that the fact that as a teenager, I never thought twice about those things when I saw them at the time. But now when I go back and watch it, I'm like, whoa. Oh no, that's not okay. Yeah, <laughs> Scrubs, I was thinking, no, please stop. Yeah, and it is. It's it seems to be I mean maybe cuz the 90s is our is our collective graveyard past now cuz it's 30 <laughs> years ago. But uh but yeah, I was we were looking at at um uh, uh if you look at friends, if you look at Frasier, the number of of sort of tacit fat jokes in Frasier of like you know, he looks through, a, mm-hmm. he's, he says, oh, I'm attracted to so many women at this party. And then they show an unattractive woman and they go, well, obviously there are exceptions. And, and it's like, ow, yeah. ow, mm-hmm. damn. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of, a, of objective beauty pisses me off every time it comes up in virtually anything. It doesn't even have to be a sitcom, but yeah. Um, so I think in that sense, though, it's, it's nice to see that that had, that was phased out slowly. Mm-hmm. That was phased out over a series of years and decades. Yeah. Um, and so I would measure that as a kind of progress. I would say, you know, the uh, what's his face? Sasaki losing his job slash quitting. Yeah, that's okay. That's a measurable impact. But I would say a greater measurable impact that is likelier to stick around is this sort of slow cultural agreement to not accept um, fatphobic comments, statements, behaviors. Well, I think even just, I mean, the larger picture of seeing figures finally held accountable for, I mean, a myriad of offensive statements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think this goes again to what I was saying before that so much of what we're debating, whether it in any sort of marginalized community is who gets to decide what's acceptable or unacceptable. And it used to be that it was the quote unquote, the dominant culture, but that just meant the white culture. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. when, when, when white people lost the, the ability to be the sole in, in arbiters of race or what is racism? Yeah. It, it, it threw things open to a lot of, a lot of questioning and rightly so. So that, mm-hmm. for example, if you look at this, you know, in the fat community, 
it, you know, it used to be that you could even tell a fat joke and that wasn't considered offensive. And now we go, okay, that's offensive. But then we ask other questions like, what if you don't have seating that's inclusive for everyone? If you, what if you're a restaurant and all your chairs have are, are narrow and have small arms, either because you think that's elegant or because you have space requirements? Is that fat phobic? And we're asking those questions and fat people are telling us, hell yeah, it's fat phobic. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like we're at the start of this still, you know, like yeah. there's still more room for change and it's, it, I think going back to what Dan said, you know, as fat people start coming to the forefront again, and that's not where we're supposed to be, according to mainstream society, there's going to be more blowback. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like things are going to get uglier before they get better, but the uglier they get, it means that things are moving forward, you know? Yeah. Stay positive and, about that. And it isn't. In any of these cases, it's not a, there is no end point. There's, it's a continual yep. collective push. And so, which can be exhausting. So take, take advantage of the victories when you see them yep. and take comfort in each other as a community so that you don't feel like you're doing it yourself. Another metaphor that I think is really useful here is, you know, the mountain you're climbing doesn't have a top to it. And if you think of it in terms of, oh my God, that means I'll never reach the top. Yeah, that's really disempowering. The other way to interpret that is the higher you climb, the more you can see. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I know this sounds like I'm being maybe a little too Pollyanna with this, but bear with me. Sometimes these attacks against you know any minority group, including fat people, can actually end up improving things for us enormously. So like with chairs, right? Uh, let's say somebody complains about the chairs in a restaurant being too narrow. Uh, that comes out in a public way. You know, some some sort of, you know, local journalist attacks uh, all these, you know, this fat activism uh, as being bad or being, you know, all these people, they just want everything their way. Um, while it may sound like you're being attacked. Meanwhile, business people are listening to this going like, oh, people aren't going to that restaurant. They're not giving them money because the chairs aren't wide enough. We're going whether or not they're under attack or being seen as silly, we're going to start using wider chairs because we want business. Mm-hmm. Like the attack can lead to improvements. So well, something something my ex used to tell me I thought was just brilliant. He said, you know, and this was in the gay, days before gay marriage and where gay rights was something that people debated more hotly. Maybe they still do. Uh, but you know, he said that gay rights isn't just about getting rights for gays and gay marriage doesn't just benefit gay people right when you have gay marriage it opens the door for non-gays to also have more diversity and choice in how they live their lives and how they conduct their relationships it gets people out Mm -hmm. of gender stereotypes and that is ultimate so it's that gay rights and gay marriage ultimately benefits all people not just gays here here so do we have a tip for the day? Why, yes, we do. We do. Um, so obviously, uh, I mean, we haven't talked about this yet on the podcast, but um, there were the, the brutal killings in Atlanta um, yeah. last week. And um, I've been sharing, if you follow us on Instagram, I've been sharing uh, anti-racism resources, resources for allies. And uh, in line with that, I found this um, bystander intervention training to stop anti-Asian Amer- slash American and xenophobic harassment. Um, and this is being organized by Hollaback, which is an organization that uh, specializes in bystander response training for hmm. allies of all cr- kinds of groups. Um, but they are partnering with the uh, Asian Americans Advancing Justice for this online bystander training. So basically, if you're witnessing some kind of harassment, what can you do? Um, how can you intervene? So I'll share it. Um, I, they're gonna, they're working to add more sessions to their their calendar. <clears throat> uh, they also have a, if you do the first training session and you like it, there's a part two. Um, I'll put this on the, uh, the podcast page and I'll try to find a way to share it on social media as well. Yeah, um, the list of resources is a really accessible way to start. They have yeah. a, a bunch of really good links you can just click on and, and get started um, in a variety of different subjects around all of this. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Well, I brought a bit. Yay. People like to do the bit. Do the bit. 
Um, since we as a culture, as a world, as a people are trying to improve ourselves, we're trying to be better. Um, I thought maybe we should focus a little bit today on the books that will guide us in becoming a better world. The self-help book. So there are some fascinating self-help books out there that I thought maybe some of you would be interested in. Um, (laughs) So here's a list of suggestion. Here's a list of four books, one of which is real. Uh, Try and pick which one is the real book. Hmm. Uh, Our first possible self-help batch is the how to be category. All right. So the first one is how to be the best beach bunny you can be. (laughs) (laughs) How to be Pope. What to do and where to go once you're in the Vatican. Oh, my. How to be a bodhisattva. Ultimate enlightenment in just 30 minutes a day. Or okay. how to be a platypus. Your journey begins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like. Okay, so only uh, three of you. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the enlightenment, option three. I think how to, how to achieve enlightenment in 30 minutes. All right. I, to me, that sounds like a, re- like a, a real self-help book title. Yes. I'm going to say Beach Bunny. The Beach Bunny. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, we got two bodhisattvas and a beach bunny, and the real answer is how to be Pope. No. What to do what? and where to go once you're in the Vatican. <laughs> I am posting a link so that you guys can see the cover. What? Um, this is a real book, and it's actually written as though, like, it's like how to be a Pope for dummies, like oh. an orientation manual for an actual Pope. Is it is it too late to change my major? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Since the book was written, they've only sold two copies. <laughs> Um, I should say, but Guy Branham has a really great uh, routine in his comedy set where he talks about, you know, jobs you would have been great for. He says, I would have killed Renaissance Pope. <laughs> oh. Hmm. That sounds interesting. All right. The other major, another major category for the self-help book are the sex books. Oh. Right? So mm-hmm. which of these four sex books is in fact the correct how-to book? One, The Joy of Solo Sex. Two, how to get above it all, your sling and you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Three, spanking for fun and profit. Hmm. Oh, Or nice. four, the orgasmic toe, erogenous zones of the foot. <laughs> oh. <sighs> They're all so real sounding. Uh, uh, I, I say the orgasmic toe. The orgasmic toe? Um, the, yeah. The guide for the foot fetishist. That sounds just weird enough to be true. <laughs> I'm. I have to say, if the book "Spanking for Fun and Profit" doesn't exist, it should. I, I, I think that's a great. I, I, that's a great. Someone should pitch that as a as a book proposal. I, I go with that. I'm, no, Dan, we'll just include it in our our Chaser's Guide. To, oh, that's right. Our, our Chaser Sutra. Our Chaser Sutra. Huh. That's right. Going with the uh, the spanking then. Oh yeah. And Trevor, which of those four appeals to you? Uh, I'm gonna go on my own and say it's solo sex. Oh, all See, alone. I don't I don't yeah. think that many people want to have sex with Han Solo, despite the popularity of the movies. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, he always shoots first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Good. Oh! I like that, Don. I like that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> as, he's, as he's gotten older, he shoots second now. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. Womp, womp. We have, we have uh, quite the spectrum here, but the correct answer is the joy of solo sex. Oh, Amazing. This is actually, it's not a how-to. It's actually just a collection of <laughs> stories from guys who like talking about how they masturbate. <laughs> okay. Available okay. on Amazon. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> um, so there are self-help books for those of us who maybe, maybe just don't feel all the socially adept all the time, have a hard time fitting in, or, or want to try and figure out how to be a specific type of person. So mm-hmm. here's pick which of these four ones is the, is the real one. One, The Groovy Cat's Guide to Hipness. <laughs> hip two. Hipness? A hipness. Like, oh, to be hip. To yeah. be hip. Or alternatively, right. hip. Two. Uh, how to construct friends and influence people. The Evil Scientist's Guide to World Conquest. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. Three. Anybody can be cool, but awesome takes practice. The Christian Guide to Being a Cool Teen. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> or four. A Warrior for Virginity. 
how to terrorize your daughter's boyfriend. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. <sighs> I have to I'm oh, going to say the Christian cool kids. I, I have to go with that, yeah. too. It just sounds so horrible to be true. Anybody? Anybody? I, mean, I, I will break from the I think that's probably it. But I'm going to break from the norm and say terrorizing your daughter's boyfriend just because that's fucking hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> and the real book. It is, in fact, anybody can be cool, but awesome takes practice. Oh, the Christian. The, the subheading is is not the Christian guide to being a cool teen, but I felt I thought we needed a little something in there just to give you an idea of what they were talking about. Um, just the, uh, the the quote I read about this book first. This book is what happens when Christianity and coolness mash in one juicy, advice-filled nonfiction novel, teaching you to stand up for the constant li- to the constant lies from Satan. <sighs> Uh-huh. Can I just object uh, just, strenuously to the fact that they said a nonfiction novel? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and now, finally, how there are books out there that can just help you make your life better, just all around, right? One, Inner Peace Through Ice Cream. <laughs> Two, The Upside Down Master, Yoga for People with Vertigo. <laughs> Trucker, Sucker, Chicken Plucker, How to Find the Right Job for You. Oh. <laughs> or four, asshole. How I got rich and happy by not giving a damn about anyone and how you can too. <laughs> oh, that sounds, I, I'm going for the asshole. I am also okay. going for asshole. Uh, I'm going for the chicken plucker. <laughs> a lot of people like going for thing. the asshole. My God. What a strange It's a world. popular gay what destination. Expect? We're all gay. Hmm. <laughs> and asshole. How I got rich and happy by not giving a damn about Yay, anyone how you can too. I got too. one. It's basically wow. a guide to book on how to become a sociopath. So- there you go. <laughs> a self-help book on how to basically destroy all of your connectivity and empathy for other people. Yeah, but you'll have money, so who cares, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've all seen Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. What self-help books would you recommend to us, dear listeners? You can tell us. Where can they tell us, Trevor? We're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five yeah. stars and a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> See all the articles we talked about uh, at www.thebadgaypod.com. Maybe you're uh, you're just getting your little the final push of your vaccination as you listen to this, and you mm-hmm. look up and it's your you know nurses I don't know kind of wearing a mask, kind of handsome, and then they rip off their mask and it's Michael. <gasps> And ha. he's not vaccinated, so smooch <laughs> <laughs> <Spooch> them all <laughs> and look out. Yeah. <laughs> hey. If I were a nurse, I would definitely be getting a lot of If I'm recovering from surgery, that is about the one time I'm not feeling this. Exercise. <laughs>